0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy.
1: The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces
0: Of the Empire of Japan.
2: In October of 1940, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt declared, I have said this before, but I shall say it again and again and again. Your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars. Well, this was a reiteration of his earlier assertion. We are keeping out of the wars that are going on in Europe and in Asia. Our opponents are seeking to frighten the country by telling people that the president administration is deliberately drifting into war. You know better than that. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. And there's been a significant amount of breaking news, and we are certainly going to cover that. But before we look into what's happening today, we're going to look back at December 7th, that day in infamy. President Roosevelt campaigned on neutrality back in 1940. He assured his constituents, I give to the people of this country this most solemn assurance. There is no secret treaty, no secret obligation, no secret commitment, no secret understanding in any shape or form, direct or indirect, with any other government or any other nation in any part of the world to involve this nation in any war. Well, it's true that leaders can't always predict what's going to happen Unfortunately, Germany's uh, Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, and Japan's Prime Minister, uh, Tojo, they didn't cooperate. And on December 7th, as you heard a moment ago, in 1941... More than 350 Japanese um, planes attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, killing 2,390 American servicemen and civilians and wounding, uh, wounding rather, 1,282 others. The attack sank or damaged eight battleships, three cruisers, three destroyers and one uh, mine layer and destroyed 188 aircraft. It took four years and the full military industrial capability of the United States to defeat that country. Well, that included a young naval aviator by the name of George Herbert Walker Bush. There was no more devastating surprise attack on the United States until 9-11. Well, you heard the president's words on that day, December 7th, 1941. He went on to say, always will we remember the character of the onslaught against us, no matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion. And keep in mind, he had no idea the outcome as we do looking back. He went on to say the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory with confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounded determination of our people. We will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God, end quote. Historian Victor Davis Hanson writes, after Pearl Harbor, the United States went into a rearmament frenzy, the likes of which had never been seen in history. America produced more airplanes and ships than all World War II powers combined. The U.S. military grew to 12 million soldiers. American military leadership in the Pacific, led by Admirals William Halsey, uh, Jr., Chester Nimitz and Raymond Sprounce, uh, along with generals Curtis LeMay and uh, Douglas MacArthur proved far more skilled than their Japanese counterparts at the time and the American soldier sailor airman and marine after a bruising learning experience in early 1942 proved every bit as ferocious as veteran Japanese fighters Well, it was the honor and respect for those who died or suffered terrible injuries that Sunday morning that we should never again fall into the slumber that allowed such a tragedy as Pearl Harbor or, for that matter, the attack on September 11th, 2001. Again, today, of course, marks that anniversary. Well, today on the program, we're going to cover uh, many of the developing stories that broke today, many related to the Mueller investigation. And we'll try to provide you with what we know now. It certainly will broaden in the days ahead, but we'll try to at least give you a skeletal outline of some of those events. And we will most certainly transition into the lighter side of the news as well. So stick around for that. Well, Special Counsel Mueller's office faced a deadline today in two key cases in the Russia Russia collusion probe. Maybe that was uh, wishful thinking, Russia conclusion. But prosecutors had to file sentencing recommendations in the cases of Michael Cohen, President Trump's former attorney, and Paul Manafort, former Trump campaign chairman. More on that in a few moments. Fired FBI Director James Comey uh, testified behind closed doors before House Republicans about the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Investigation and alleged political bias in the agency. And whistleblowers have come forward with hundreds of pages documenting potential wrongdoing by the Clinton Foundation during Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State. A top Republican uh, has announced President Trump uh, will nominate and did State Department spokeswoman Heather Nauert to replace Nikki Haley as U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. A very tough act to follow. And former President George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush rather, was laid to rest on Thursday as a special funeral train took his remains to their final resting place on the grounds of his presidential library and museum in College Station, Texas. A top executive from Y uh, Technologies, whose arrest has cast doubt on the trade truce between the United States and China, will appear in court uh, for a bail hearing today. And jurors are also to uh, begin deliberations in the murder trial of a man accused of ramming his car into counter protesters at the infamous August 2017 white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Actor-comedian Kevin Hart withdrew from hosting next year's Academy Awards uh, late Thursday night after years-old homophobic tweets, as they're now being referred to, surfaced. And Friday, of course, marks the 77th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And for the first time, none of the remaining survivors of the USS Arizona are expected to attend the annual ceremony. Time has taken its toll. Well, on this day in 1941, the day of infamy, uh, Japanese forces launched the surprise attack. 2,400 American lives were lost that prompted the United States to declare war against Japan that very next day. And on this day in 1972, America's last moon mission to date is launched as Apollo 17 blasts off from Cape Canaveral, Florida. And on this day in 1987... Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev sets foot on American soil for the first time, arriving for a Washington summit with President Ronald Reagan. Well, as I mentioned, this has been a big day for lots of breaking news stories. Former FBI Director James Comey's lawyers prevented him from answering a number of questions during today's closed-door testimony before House lawmakers. According to lawmakers in the room, there's since been a transcript released. Representative Darrell Issa told reporters that some lawmakers have been frustrated with the testimony so far and that Comey didn't seem upset about being told by his lawyers that he doesn't have to answer certain questions. One of the disappointments of this uh, deposition so far has been the amount of time in which the FBI believes that. Congress doesn't have the right to know. Isa said Comey has um, two lawyers, including one from the Department of Justice, who have instructed the former FBI director not to answer a great many questions that are clearly items uh, at the core of the investigation. Isa said the instructions have been followed with Comey's gleeful acceptance. The Department of Justice is going to have to agree to allow him to come back and answer a great many questions that currently he is not answering, Isa went on to say. Well, Comey, who may pub- um, publicly speak at, uh, at some length and did at least briefly after the hearing, initially fought the committee's subpoena to appear in court, but finally uh, forged an agreement to appear. The committee is expected to release that transcript and did perhaps... Uh, As early as Saturday, in a uh, lengthier form. The details of what's going on in there will remain private until after the deposition, Isis said. He later. Uh, told Fox News that the question not being questions rather not being answered generally concerned the Hillary Clinton email probe, surveillance warrants and the anti-Trump dossier. The former FBI director declined to answer shouted questions from news um, uh, reporters that were gathered around. He entered the hearing room Friday morning. The questioning uh, went till 415 Eastern time. Um Mark Meadows from North Carolina said before the hearings began a key focus of questioning from lawmakers was Comey's decision to draft the 2016 statement recommending against filing criminal charges in the Clinton email probe before the former secretary of state was even interviewed as well as the apparent political bias demonstrated in a slew of text messages and leaks by top FBI officials. We also learned this afternoon that James Comey will return for more Hill testimony. As uh, the president is uh, ripping the ex-FBI director, well, Comey will we, uh, return uh, to Washington. Uh, we are, are now learning he spent Friday testifying before the House uh, lawmakers, um, providing very few answers, um, but is expected to return at some point. Um, we're telling, we're being told. Uh, it's not clear to me at this point when that will be, but he is going to uh, return. Uh, hopefully with more answers, at least from the perspective of members of the House, uh, to their questions. Now, we're going to take a break here in a moment. When we come back, we're going to talk about the president lashing out at uh, Rex Tillerson. Now, he, of course, was the former secretary of state, and the two of them have had a back and forth that you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want your sons or daughters to engage in this kind of sort of petty back and forth. But uh, nonetheless, we'll tell you about that. We'll also let you know about the president's former attorney and uh, his new pick for attorney general and UN ambassador. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show and we're winding through some of the breaking news stories of the day and there were several of them I want to keep you up to date. Well, President Trump fired back on Friday at former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson calling him dumb as a rock after the ex-diplomat claimed he always had to remind the president some of his plans would violate the law. In a rare public appearance, Tillerson sat down with former CBS news journalist Bob Schieffer during a fundraiser for the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, according to the Houston Chronicle. Well, Tillerson blamed his strained relationship with Trump on the fact that they didn't share a common value system and were obviously starkly different in their styles. When the president would say, here's what I want to do or here's um, how I want to do it, and I'd have to say to him, well, Mr. President, I understand what you want to do, but you can't do it that way. It violates the law. It violates the treaty. You know, he got very frustrated, Tillerson said. I think he um, grew tired of me being the guy every day who told him that he can't do that, he can't, lest we... uh, Uh, talk about what he can do. Well, he said he told uh, the president he would be willing to fight the fight to change laws in Congress so the president could press forward with his agenda. Well, the president fired back on, you guessed it, Twitter, saying Tillerson didn't have the mental capacity needed as the nation's top diplomat. He was dumb as a rock and I couldn't get rid of him fast enough. He was lazy as expletive. Uh, Now it is a whole new ballgame, great spirit at state. Now, if I was the current secretary of state, Observing what happened here, uh, observing what happened with the um, uh, previous um, uh, at DOJ, I would be very re- reluctant to want to hold that position. You might find the president's favor for one moment, but then the next, you're dumb as a rock, as he refer to Tillerson, his pick for that position. Well, Tillerson is 66. He was fired from the White House in March after rumors of a rift between him and the president had been circulating for some time. In leaving, Tillerson said Washington, D.C. can be a very mean-spirited town. Well, Mr. Tillerson also contended that the president tends to act on his instincts, although it's not his uh, intent to act on impulse. What was challenging for me, he went on to say, coming from the disciplined, highly process-oriented ExxonMobil Corporation, to go to work for a man who is pretty undisciplined, doesn't like to read, doesn't read briefing reports, doesn't like to get into the details of a lot of things, but rather just kind of says, look, this is what I believe, Tillerson said. Well, during the event... Tillerson, who's from Texas, said there is no question Russia interfered in the 2016 election. He said the country seeks to undermine our confidence and undermine the world's confidence in us. Uh, The president, meanwhile, announced Tillerson's firing as the the nation's top diplomat back in March in a tweet which named Mike Pompeo as his replacement. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service, Trump said at the time. He's changed his tune somewhat since. Well, the president announced today that he plans to nominate William Barr, the George Herbert Walker Bush era leader of the Justice Department, who, by the way, has been confirmed by the Senate in the past as his next attorney general, as well as State Department spokeswoman Heather Nauert. Uh, to succeed outgoing U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. The nominations, which had been widely expected, were confirmed by the president as he prepared to leave Washington for a conference in Missouri. He said Barr was his first choice from day one, though acknowledged he didn't know him until recently. Bill Barr will be nominated. I think he will serve with great distinction, the president said. Uh, we are being told that the president liked the immense respect Barr commands and the fact that he was uh, he has rather earned bipartisan support in the past. If confirmed, he would replace Matthew Whitaker, the former Jeff Sessions chief of staff who took over as acting attorney general last month. Attorney General Sessions resigned as the pres- at the president's request, coming after the president lambasted him in public for months over his recusal from the Russia investigation. Well, Bard led the Justice Department under Bush, 41, from 1991 to 92, and currently works at the Kirkland and Ellis Law Firm in Washington. Prior to serving under Bush as attorney general, he was deputy attorney general and led the Office of Legal Counsel. According to his biography, he served in the Central Intelligence Agency from 90, uh, rather 73 to 77. Democrats have cried foul ever since the appointment of uh, Whitaker, who now oversees special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation as acting attorney general. Several Democratic senators filed a lawsuit in federal court challenging the constitutionality of his appointment, arguing it is in violation of the Constitution's appointment clause. It's unclear whether Barr will garner bipartisan support now, given the politically charged environment, though Trump urged a swift confirmation process. Now, again, the uh, controversy over Whitaker is that while he held a position in that agency, he had never gone through the confirmation Process in the US Senate. And they were crying foul, saying that until or unless he had gone through that process, he was not suitable to assume that position. That does require Senate confirmation, even if it is temporary. Well, the U.S.-sponsored resolution condemning terrorist acts by Hamas failed to receive the two-thirds majority it needed to pass the United Nations General Assembly yesterday. The resolution condemned Hamas for repeatedly firing rockets into Israel and for inciting violence, thereby putting civilians at risk. It also condemned attempts by Hamas to build tunnels into Israel and launch rockets at civilian areas. The U.S. urged a simple majority vote on that resolution, but just before the final vote, Kuwait and Bolivia... They were able to get a narrow majority to adopt a rule requiring a two-thirds majority for the resolution's passage, which ensured its failure. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley, at least for now, accused the Arab country... Uh, countries rather, behind the adopting of the two-thirds majority procedural rule of double standards and condemned the UN's failure to respond to terrorist acts against Israel. There is nothing more anti-Semitic than saying we cannot condemn terrorists against Israel, why we would not hesitate for a minute to condemn the same acts if they were being taken against any other country, she said. Is the hatred toward Israel so strong that you'll defend a terrorist organization? She asked those that voted against the resolution. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, release statement followed... Uh, following the voting, praised the countries that did vote to condemn Hamas despite the resolution's failure. The draft condemnation of Hamas in the U.N. General Assembly received a sweeping majority by countries that stood against Hamas, he wrote. And while it did not achieve a two-thirds majority, this is the first time that a majority of countries have voted against Hamas, and I commend each of the 87 countries that took a principled stand against Hamas. This is a very important achievement for the U.S. and Israel. I thank you, the American administration and the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, for the initiative. The vote on the resolution was 87 to 57 in favor, with 33 abstentions, a majority below the two-thirds that was required. And finally, equity investors rocked by days of volatility are saying good riddance to this week today in what was another stomach-churning session. The month of December is now off to its worst start Since 2008, as tracked by uh, Dow Jones Market Data Group, well, the Dow Jones Industrial Average finished the final days of the week down 558 points or over 2 percent, curbing losses that were well over 600 points uh, intraday. The S&P 500 sank 2 percent and the Nasdaq Composite. 3% as large-cap tech names, including Apple and IBM, weighed on the Dow. For the week, all three of the broader U.S. um, averages lost 4% amid significant point declines. This market volatility is all about trade. Robert Wolf, who's a former chairman and CEO of UBS Americas, uh, said today, Wolf noted that a steady stream of comments this week on trade from the president and his top advisers, including Peter Navarro, are adding to the market's volatility as the U.S.-China work on their trade truce and other cloud-worried investors, and that was the arrest of Vancouver, in Vancouver, rather, of Hugh Wise CFO Meng Wanzhoub. She was arrested this week as part of a U.S. investigation into the company's alleged invasion of American sanctions against Iran. The Justice Department is seeking her extradition to the United States. Navarro said that while the DOJ is the uh, in the lead, the U.S. remains engaged in the broader trade discussions. Uh, Wang Zhao uh, appeared in a Canadian court today at a bail hearing. On the economic front, the November jobs report was softer than expected. The Labor Department said American employers created 155,000 jobs last month, less than the 200,000 Wall Street analysts had expected. The November jobs report also found that the unemployment rate is still 3.7 percent, its lowest level in nearly half a century, and that wages edged slightly higher than last month. The smaller than expected number could influence the Federal Reserve to pause its interest rate hikes. Such recent uh, increases include one expected this month have uh, spooked stock investors uh, and drawn fire from the president. So there you have it, some of the uh, breaking news of the day. We're going to take a quick break here in just a moment, and when we return, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will take a look at the lighter side of the news. And quite frankly, there's plenty of it. So I hope you'll stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This is the Day that we like to focus our attention on some of the lighter side of the news. And uh, James Blend, who is engineering and producing today's program, has an open mic, and he can chime in at any time. This is perhaps the most frightening day of the week in that regard. i say it's like uh,
1: doing the tightrope thingy at the circus without a net below kind
2: of thing. Yeah, definitely without a net. By the way, you're wearing a rather colorful Sweater today that took me by surprise when you came into the office first thing. All lit up and sparkly. What is that thing that you're wearing? What is this thing I'm wearing? It's Stitch. Oh, yeah. I recognize the character's name. Yep. From the Disney cartoon but Lilo and Stitch. But it's a and Christmas Stitch. sweater. Yep, and but it, it is a Christmas sweater. And it lights up.
1: It lights up. And uh, as the movie uh, Lilo and Stitch is set in Hawaii, it says uh, Malika Maka on it. And yes, it does have uh, several lights adorning um, some of the... Uh, Christmas hats that, uh, <laughs> that Stitch is wearing in this particular sweater. I
2: have to tell you something about James Bland. I never know from one day to the next what kind of shirt he's going to be wearing. Sometimes I just stand and stare. It might be a little awkward in the office. I just have to it stand is. and stare at him to try to figure out, first of all, what on earth are you wearing? What does it mean? And then even after he explains it, oftentimes I have no clue because he tries to explain the inexplicable. You have a thing with creative, off-beat, off-brand
1: shirts. I, I do. I admit that. Even even when it comes to the world of Disney, I mean, certainly, uh, uh, you know, when you ask somebody what their favorite Disney movie is, you know, you hear something typically involving a princess or uh, uh, maybe some toys that have uh, come to life or whatnot. But uh, you know, this, this, this is my Disney cartoon. This, this is my Disney cartoon. So, you know. It's a little offbeat, which perfectly fits me.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure your little daughter, she loves that.
1: Oh, she thing. adores the movie, and she adores this shirt.
2: Well, and the fact that it lights up and kind of twinkles. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: It is a popular one at home.
2: I'll just leave it at that.
1: So, yeah. And Where very Christmassy.
2: sunglasses at work, but that's all right.
1: Hey, I have the lights turned off currently.
2: <laughs> Thankfully, I'm afraid a plane's going to land in here. Well, Facebook um, is ever our protector, and um, can we just take a moment to pause and thank Facebook for being so careful to make sure we're not exposed to things that are just too much for the average American to consider. Well, Facebook is covered over a posting of a picture of Santa Claus kneeling before the baby Jesus. I know, it's a lot. Warning viewers that the photo may show violent or graphic content. Now, I'm looking at the picture. Santa is simply kneeling. He doesn't have a weapon in hand. He's not followed by an army. Uh, He doesn't have some dread disease. He's just kneeling by a manger with an infant and a star's light overhead. And the warning may show violent or graphic content. Well, the second warning beneath the obscured image of Santa on um, bended knee reverentially adoring Christ child um, states this photo was automatically covered. So you can decide if you want to see it. Now, I suppose the good news is some people who just are, are um, intrigued by things that they are not supposed to see may look when they otherwise might not have, but users can then click on a button to uncover this um, horrific image. Facebook explains on its site, uh, what it means by violent and graphic content We also know that people have different sensitivities with regard to graphic and violent content. For that reason, we added a warning label to especially graphic or violent content so that it is not available to people under age, under the age of 18, and so that people are aware of the graphic or violent nature before they click to see it, the social media giant states. We err on the side of allowing content even when some find it objectionable, declares Facebook's community standards, saying it does so in order to maintain a safe environment for its Facebook community. It's still unclear why the image of baby Jesus and Santa Claus were deemed by Facebook to be violent and graphic. But on December 25th, Christians around the world celebrate, you know, the birth of that baby uh, that happened some 2018 years ago. Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to save mankind from sin and to open the way to heaven, to reconciliation with God and a life of peace. Despite our circumstances, Christians consider God becoming man, the greatest historical event that has ever taken place. I happen to be one of them, a Christian Christian. Well, the image in question of the savior of the world as an infant and the popularized version of a fictitious character um, originally um, posted on December 1st, 2015, was uh, this accompanying poem explaining the touching illustration. My dear, precious Jesus, I did not mean to take your place. Now, this is, of course, Santa Claus. and There actually was a Saint Nicholas, but this we're talking about Santa Claus. My dear Jesus, I did not mean to take your place. I only bring toys and things, and you bring love and grace. People give me lists of wishes and hopes that they uh, come true, but you hear prayers of the hearts and promise you what you will do. Children try to be good and not to cry when I am coming to town, but you love them unconditionally, and that love will abound. I leave only a bag of toys and temporary joy for a season, but you leave a heart of love full of purpose and reasons. I have a lot of believers— Than what one might call fame, but I never healed the blind or tried to help the lame. I have rosy cheeks and a voice full of laughter, but no um, nail scarred hands or a promise of the hereafter. You may find several of me in town or at a mall, but there is only one omnipotent you to answer a sinner's call. And so, my dear, precious Jesus, I kneel here to pray, to worship and adore you on this, your holy birthday. I know we might be getting a call from the FCC because that really crosses The line, at least according to Facebook logic. Well, Facebook has a long history of censoring faith-based organizations and individuals. The social media giant has been forced to apologize for numerous instances of improperly flagging conservative or Christian content as hateful or otherwise inappropriate. Now, hateful and inappropriate oftentimes is uh, defined as I don't like that perspective or it's contrary to my own. It's also come under fire for letting left wing organizations like PolitiFact and the Southern Poverty Law Center influence its fact checking and hate speech policies. Well, Facebook has censored a Christian theology professor after he criticized a video selling uh, LGBT pride to children. He suspended the account of um, or rather it has suspended the account of Elizabeth Johnson, a Christian who goes by the name of activist mommy after she called gender confusion a mental illness. Uh, The social media giant has also blocked ads for the movie Gosnell, the trial of America's biggest serial killer, which is actually graphic and violent, labeling the film about the serial killer abortion as political speech. The social media network giant has also banned many life site news pro-life ads, deeming them too political because they showed pictures of pregnant mothers, you know, intact, ultrasounds, pre-born babies and tiny feet of an infant child held in its mother's hands. All very graphic images of living, loved, and wanted children. Anyway, Merry Christmas. Well, Christmas decorations can really liven up a home. I'm halfway through mine. It's a long story. I don't want to talk about it. But add one string of light or a strand of tinsel too many, and it can easily cross the line to tacky. So say those who, you know, are responsible for those kinds of things, worried you might overdo it, then look for guidance from a new book, Christmas by Design, because apparently we are incapable of decorating our own homes and we don't even know our own taste. Where the nation's top designers reveal how to make your holiday decor, which becomes their holiday decor, look tasteful without going over the top. So have you ordered your copy yet, James?
1: I have thought about getting it for my wife, but... uh... We don't have a problem with taste or tackiness. We, I just feel like we have too much stuff, so there's a constant feeling of minor clutter in our house throughout the ah. holiday season, as it were.
2: So you think you need professional help?
1: Well, I know I need professional help, but... <laughs> I mean, related not...
2: specifically to this. Oh, related specifically to this. No, maybe,
1: <laughs> maybe maybe a little advice for somebody who wants to uh, you know casually make off with my wife's Christmas village, uh, but <laughs> apart from that, no.
2: Well, the presumptive um, co-authors of the... Um, I should say presumptuous because they are the co-authors, but they presume to know better than you do how to decorate your home. So it reflects you when it's actually reflecting them. Patricia McMillan and her daughter, Catherine K. McMillan, I have no idea who these people are, who also wrote Home Decorating for Dummies, insulting their readers, uh, are no strangers to translating highfalutin home decor ideas for the masses. And the proof is in the pages of their latest guide, which is packed with both current and classic ideas for dressing up suitcases, or I guess not suitcases, staircases, mantles, trees, tablets, doors, or maybe tables, uh, and much, much more. So if you're eager to create a gorgeous holiday wonderland that won't look like a snow globe threw up in your house, take a look at some of these great designer-approved ideas. Now, you might want to take some notes Uh, James, for your wife, uh, just in case the book doesn't arrive on time. Um, Hart McMillan is all about economizing. Uh, One newspaper editor wrote that uh, I didn't sound like an interior designer because I talked about saving my clients money, even the wealthy ones, she says. One of her favorite tips is to make use of what you already have. That is brilliant, to make use of what you already have. I should have written this book. For example... Christmas dinner centerpieces, costly if purchased at the florist, can be as simple as a collection of colorful on-hand ornaments heaped into a bowl. Wow, these professionals, they really have it out For drama, I use a footed cake plate, bowl or urn, for a long table, use two and some real or faux greenery around the base. They use an
1: urn? An urn. Where, where do they store grandpa during this time period? That's what <laughs> I want to
2: know. Oh, dear. Maybe I will order you the book.
1: Uh, I, I'm just saying it, it does seem like, yeah.
2: Uh, your color scheme need not be red or green. Are you writing this it down there, James? It wow. need not be. It need not be, according to the professionals. The red and green color scheme, of course, is magically traditional, says one of the pair. Seeing a red and green scheme transports this uh, author into a very special world where I am a child again, experiencing the wonder of the season. Other color schemes that depart blue and gold and blue and silver, amber, white, gold, and so on, are beautiful, but they don't evoke the same sentiment. If you want your decorations to invoke a classic feel from the past, you guessed it, red and green. Of course. Yeah. Uh, By the way, here are just a couple more things. Children's toys make great decorations. And if you have kids who don't know how to put their stuff away, just simply say, it's part of the Christmas decor. Uh, they also encourage you to take a bow, B-O-U-G-H. Use bows to decorate things, holly and other greenery. Use your wrapped gifts as design elements. They don't have to all be under the tree. Put them on the top of the table or other places as well.
1: That will work great with my three-year-old.
2: Yeah, that would be paper shreds all over the house. Fresh and presents versus... opened
1: way too early.
2: Yeah. Mind the pets and the kids. And, of course, there's the ongoing dilemma, fresh versus Artificial tree, your answer to that question, James, fresh, artificial.
1: We went artificial a couple of years ago um, and uh, haven't looked back.
2: Yeah, we, we used to go uh, to the place and get the tree. I think I shared several years ago the incident in which I was chased by a large animal. And then we were chased by a car. And that was the end of that. But we've gone with the artificial. I miss it's, having and a is, live this is tree. this but...
1: actually our first Christmas with two trees. Two trees. We've expanded. Yeah, we have three. We, They're we, just you know give us places. a couple more years and a few more hallmark ornaments and we'll be there <laughs> i have full faith of that yeah
2: well there you have it the professional perspective on how to take care of your own home at christmas time as if you couldn't figure it out yourself
1: i never would have figured out a I single one of those i would
2: have done had it not been for these professionals
1: i'm a better person i am I'm too i have more confidence
2: person. my home looks better okay maybe my home doesn't look better i'm
1: sitting up a little straighter in my chair
2: and in fact, I think the lights on your sweater are a little brighter. They're not on. Oh, I'll take my sunglasses off. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you're looking for trends this season, one of them is the black Christmas tree. It's become the hottest new holiday trend. This season, Christmas enthusiasts are going dark this year when it comes to decorating their trees. That is uh, all black Christmas trees are quickly becoming the hottest trend. And if you are a trend setter or a follower of trends, well, oh, there you have it. Online retailers can attest. They're also noticing an increase in demand in recent months. E-commerce company Wayfair confirmed that it has uh, seen a seventy-seven-zero percent increase year over year in the site searches for black Christmas trees in 2018. And I've never seen one up close and personal. I can only imagine what that might look like. Uh, Wayfair spokesperson says that the festive black Christmas tree started rapidly spreading on Instagram and other social media platforms in 2017, quickly gained traction with uh, consumers. This year, it's all the rage. And I know that you and I being on the cutting edge of fashion and social trends, James, we probably will have black Christmas trees next year. Probably not.
1: I was going to say, I'm not, definitely not due for another three, four years. Uh, but the one you just for, got. Yeah, I just got one. So another three, four years maybe, and uh, I'll look at another one, and uh, uh, we'll see if it's still trendy then.
2: Yeah. Well, the holidays are a fun time to push the envelope when it comes to decorating, and some may feel more comfortable trying out a new trend than others. Um, according to Wayfair, um, uh, they have nearly 100 black Christmas tree options available online. Uh, the retailer um, tree also, says that they uh, are now the fourth most popular tree color, trailing behind green, white, and silver. They offer seven different styles of black trees from tuxedo black to stiletto black pencil to the new black blue ombre. Sales of these Christmas trees via the uh, website are up 16% over last year. Uh, the hashtag black Christmas tree has been used. Nearly 9,000 times on Instagram, many users share photos of their decked out black trees. One woman proudly posed next to what she uh, dubbed her goth tree, which seems like a contradiction in terms, but there you have it. Another woman shared um, close ups of a black Christmas tree featuring silver bells and snowflakes, a new Christmas trend this year. Uh, I'm looking at a picture of one uh, currently. Yeah?
1: It's very dark. It's very very dark. Yeah. The, the The only strategic I can see example, and I'm going based on, of course, on that exciting new information we learned in the last segment on how to decorate your house is that uh, I suppose a darker tree would accentuate your lights and ornaments. I don't think okay. I. I don't think I'd purchase one. Uh, but uh, I, I guess I slightly see the appeal based on that. But it's. I, I kind of like. It. I'm just, I'm a traditional tree kind well, of person. I get to
2: look like a tree, that's the that's it's thing kind of I the like. thing. It's yeah. kind of
1: like you remember the trees back in the '80s, the artificial trees. They were all sorts of weird colors.
2: Oh yeah, I grew up with a silver aluminum tree. Oh, I have to tell you, I loved that thing though, and it had the circulating lights that changed colors. It was uh, you fed them into a broomstick? I loved that thing because that's what we had. I mean, we had other trees too, but that's the one that stands out in my memory. But speaking of trends, hipsters all across the country are delighted. Uh, after an online gift shop started selling Christmas lights for beards. Uh, social media users have already started hashtag beard lights, which features dozens of um, men adorning their facial hair with uh, glittery fairy lights. They're just tiny little lights. It looks like you have specks of food in your beard, but that's a whole nother interpretation on time. A rather online retailer firebox is one of the first to offer men the chance to light up their facial hair with a battery powered gift. I'm not sure where that battery powered pack goes, but uh, last year the company launched Beardo Bobbles, uh, which had men hanging Christmas decorations on their face Users can clip the $14 set of 18 multicolored nano LED bulbs on their beard and become the light of the party. A spokesperson said, mm, not got room for a Christmas tree in your dismally small rental flat? Don't bother with one of those dinky desk-sized ones. Just get these and make yourself the tree this year. Basically, it's fairy lights for your beard, and each light changes color and flashes they clip on super easily facial hair or not. I, I don't know. But then there's this. If the women are feeling a bit um, left out, although if you have spa- spatial, facial hair, you could probably, you know, that stray hair that comes. We won't go into that. Well, another Christmas trend is the Christmas tree eyebrow. Yeah. It's a thing that people are actually doing. Uh, It may not be the weirdest trend you've ever seen on Instagram, but it's up there. It's uh, festive, and, uh, well, people are doing it. Social media is once again embracing Christmas tree eyebrows after the trend first appeared on social media last year. And, yes, they are exactly what they sound like. Eyebrows that are embellished to look like sometimes a whole Christmas tree with the uh, inside of the brow being the trunk and then the rest of it with branches and ornaments and everything. Sometimes they look like a a bit of holly and you put glitter and other little things on. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with little shards of plastic and, you know, glass in your eyebrow right above the eye? Beauty bloggers and face-based fashionistas are achieving the look by combing, dyeing, and decorating their brows into festive works of art, with some using glitter, dye, wax, glue, and even little baubles. Again, what could possibly go wrong right above the eye? According to Marie Claire, the trend can be traced back to Instagram user Tay Tay, uh, who shared a photo of herself with a Christmas tree brows and a simple caption, yes or no. Lacking brows but want to partake in this similarly festive trend? You can always grow a December beard and augment your face with little Christmas lights or similarly seasonal ornaments. So you create eyebrows that can accommodate the shape but wait there's more more talking about trends there's a new trend for your fingernails now you know we have those dagger sharp nails that are very long they're very trendy right now well now you can also enjoy hairy nail art it's creeping some people out on instagram but you have your nails done and then you have hair starting at the uh, cuticle and working its way out toward the tips of your nail Your manicure may need a haircut from time to time, but um, in Moscow, Russia, it's known for its outrageous manicures. However, the most recent nail art may be the most bizarre yet. The salon posted a video on Instagram showing a woman with long hair flowing from her fingertips. The hair is then curled with a straightening iron. Now the post, which has been viewed by 466,000, I guess, people or times, uh, goes on to show how the strange nails are created. However, according to the uh, comments, they don't appear to be too many people who want to try the new hairy technique on themselves. Um, some of it calling it um, nasty, others just simply saying no or no. In addition to out there um, styles, the Russian salon also made faces of um, individuals on the nails leading up to the brutal matchup um, of a boxing match. You have, you know, two people who fight one another on your nails. It's just a way of distinguishing yourselves from others. So hair on the nails, yay or nay. Now the hair would extend beyond the tip of the nail and would be curled.
1: Yeah, I'll pass on that one, I think.
2: Yeah, I think I will, too. But then, uh, finally, there's the Arizona bird who was rescued, um, and they're looking for the owner because the pigeon has been bedazzled. On the breast of the pigeon, there is um, there are beads, there's, uh, I guess it's ribbon, and it's permanently attached to the bird because birds aren't lovely enough on their own. They have to be bedazzled. Isn't that what the
1: uh, lady was singing about in Mary Poppins, bead the birds? Bead I, the birds? Oh, wait. Uh, that may have been feed the birds. My bad. <laughs> Close enough.
2: Yeah, the bird just looks befuddled. But uh, there are pictures, and it has sort of a little outfit that somehow is attached to its feathers.
1: That sounds more cruel than it does cute.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure the bird can actually even see what's been done to it, but they're looking for the owner. If you happen it's better to have that way. Be it's definitely better that way. A bird, you might want to call authorities. Wow.
1: Yes, please turn yourself in now. Oh, wait, that's not what they're looking for.
2: <laughs> We're going to take a break for news and traffic here at the top of the hour, but we'll be back.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is producing and engineering today's program, and we're glad to have you along for the ride. Now, this being Friday, we're focusing on the lighter side of the news. We did cover some of the important breaking news stories at the top of the hour. And if you missed that and would like to listen in, you can go to kpdq.com for the podcast. And that uh, covered the first couple of uh, segments of today's program. Now we're talking about some of the trends uh, this Christmas season. You might want to consider if you're just completely lost with what to do to Decorate or celebrate. Uh, One mother in law is uh, being criticized for deciding, you know, this Christmas meal is just too expensive and charging her family as much as $21 each for the Christmas meal. Well, a woman posted on a discussion board that her mother in law is changing, or rather is charging guests for Christmas lunch. It's not even dinner, it's lunch. Well, the user wrote that um, uh, it's on MumsNet. Apparently, that's a Place where there's conversation between mothers, that her partner will be uh, going to her mother's um, on uh, uh, for the holiday, while she will be at her own family. However, she was surprised to find out that uh, his mother is making that, uh, is asking rather that everyone pay twenty one dollars to cover the cost of the food. Now, I will say, I host the Thanksgiving meal. My sister's doing Christmas. It is very expensive to put on a nice meal. Anyway, she says she doesn't want to uh, do it all from, or she doesn't want to do it all from scratch and wants to get some pre-done uh, so it's more money, which I understand, um, but they're gutted and feel like they want to uh, uh, to do something else. She said, I can see it from both sides and it's hard uh, work and can be expensive, but not like she is financially destitute, she wrote on the website. So mother-in-law, although I'm not sure if mother-in-law applies if you're not. Anyway, uh, mother-in-law wants to charge twenty-one dollars each for the Christmas meal. What do you think about that? I don't know what's on the menu. That's a pretty expensive meal. But your thoughts?
1: That's that's a little spendy.
2: It's a little spendy. Now, if she has filet mignon, yeah. If she has, uh, you know, gourmet-style. I mean, there are some things that could make the meal that expensive. Twenty-one dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, it depends on how many people are there. If it's 18% mandatory or...
1: Well, that's true. Yeah, because you, <laughs> you have the mandatory tip. But, yeah, I mean, you know, just because there's a mandatory tip doesn't mean that not a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, maybe you
2: should give more if the service deserves it. Or the...
1: if the you know, service isn't that great, how do you tell mom?
2: Yeah, well, the other thing is if you don't want to pay $21, offer to bring half the meal.
1: Or stop at Taco Bell.
2: Well, there you go. This is an idea. I might have to think about that. $21. Well, every year there's some toy that everybody has to have. This year, apparently, it's Aldi's Kevin the Carrot. It's a toy that sparked fights um, among would-be consumers. Are you familiar with this? You have a young daughter. Are you familiar with Aldi's Kevin the Carrot? Uh, No, I'm not. Well, if you thought the hottest toy of the season was going to be a giant stuffed carrot from a discount grocery store, you would be right. Aldi supermarket has um, rolled out a giant stuffed version of their holiday mascot, Kevin the carrot, as well as smaller plush versions of Kevin and his family and customers uh, have been lining up to get their hands on them. Now, this I should mention is in the U.K., Kevin, who was first featured in a holiday commercial for the grocery chain three years ago, was joined in 2017 by his love interest, Kate the Carrot. In 2018, the commercials added three other of their vegetable children, um, Jasper, um, Baby Carrot, and Chantanay. I'm not familiar with that name. Well, this year, in addition to a growing carrot family, Aldi also introduced a giant plush, Kevin the Carrot, which crashed the Aldi's website for the influx of people desperate to bring the root vegetable home for Christmas, Christmas. rather, The limited supply also caused fights to break out in the stores all around the UK. People wanting this plush, large carrot. Well, Aldi's acknowledged the frenzy and the uh, statement on Twitter. The buzz around our Kevin the Carrot soft toys range um, has been extremely high and briefly impacted the performance of our website. The website is now fully operational again. Now, whether or not you can get the three-foot plush version of Kevin the Carrot, which is simply a large carrot with small plush arms and legs, uh, the proceeds of which go to the Teenage Cancer Trust is currently sold out online, but some stores still carry the $25 toy and the full Kevin, Katie, and Carrot Kid sets. So in the UK, this is the thing to get, these two large carrots and their three small children. They're not even that cute. Do you know what the thing is this year that uh, young girls are looking for?
1: You know, I don't. I, I kind of try to avoid the, yeah. the trendy thing because, uh, you know, again, some sheltering we try to do yeah. as parents. She's
2: pretty young. She hasn't been exposed to that so much yet. But... I mean,
1: she she now and then we'll see a commercial or something like that for something, but uh, she's also at that age where she literally wants everything.
2: Yeah. So you just pick and choose.
1: Exactly. Pick your battles.
2: Well, you brought this story to my attention last week. Troubled Discount Footwear Chain Payless Shoe Source may want to change the name. Uh, The privately held Topeka, Kansas-based shoe seller executed the reverse of its bait-and-switch operation recently with a luxury influencer event. Held in Santa Monica, California. Now this is pretty funny because they decided, you know, Payless. You pay very little for the shoes. And I should mention, I first discovered Payless many years ago when I worked at Nordstrom's, and it shocked me how many of my coworkers had shoes for every outfit. You had blue shoes and black shoes, and this boot and that. They said, "How do you afford all of these shoes?" And they bought their shoes at Payless. So I started looking there, and sure enough, they were a pretty good uh, selection. At a very reasonable price. But anyway, Payless took over an Armani store, renamed the retail location Palesi, as in Payless, Palesi, and stocked the outlet with its discount-priced boots, heels, tennis, and leisure shoes. Then it invited a, f- a flock of um, partygoers and sold them, shoes um, typically priced at $20 to $40 in Payless stores, at inflated designer price tags of 200 and $600. Palesi sold about $3,000 worth of shoes within a few hours, and after the shoppers paid, staffers told them that the shoes were, exact, were actually from Payless, according to Adweek, which reported on the event on Wednesday of last week. They're elegant and sophisticated, one shopper described her purchase as in a Payless video posted on YouTube. Then the woman, who Payless says is, is a real person, not an actor, was told the shoes actually were the handiwork of Payless. You've got to be kidding, she said. Well, another shopper, uh, this one a man, said about his purchase, I could tell it's made with high-quality material. Ah, well, Payless refunded the shoppers their purchase prices and plans to use the video testimonials already available on YouTube as commercials on social media and on television. The campaign plays off the enormous discrepancy and aims to uh, remind consumers we're still a relevant place to shop for affordable fashion. Responses online ranged from congratulatory to accusatory. One person on Twitter called the project creative, while another pointed out the potentially faulty discernment among fashion influencers. Well, Payless wanted to push the social experiment genre to new extremes while simultaneously using it to make a cultural statement. Uh, the chief creative officer of the New York ad company um, says that the Payless customers share a pragmatist point of view, and we thought it would be Provocative to use the ideology to challenge today's image-conscious fashion influencers' culture. Well, the uh, discount footwear uh, emerged in in Chapter 11 bankruptcy in August of last year, having closed more than 670 stores. It actually operates an online store and about 2,750 stores in North America and more than 3,500 worldwide. So people thought, um, you know, these inexpensive shoes... We were really hot because of the price tag. Very interesting experiment. Well, the nine year old boy has uh, convinced the leaders of a small northern Colorado town to overturn a nearly century old ban on snowball fights. And he already knows who the first target will be his little brother. Well, Dane Best, who lives in the often snow swept town of Severance, presented his arguments at a town board meeting on Monday night, and members voted unanimously to lift the ban. I think it's an outdated law, Dane said in the lead up to the meeting. I want to be able to throw a snowball without getting into trouble, he said. Well, his mother told the Greeley Tribune her son had been talking about snowballs since he found out about a month and a half ago that it was illegal to throw them within town limits. The last time it snowed, Dane said that he and his friends looked around for police and joked about breaking the law. But he decided not to. All the kids always get blown away. Uh, that it's illegal to have snowball fights in severance, he uh, said before the meeting. Well, after the Monday night success, the four-year-old, his four-year-old brother, Dax, had better watch out. When board uh, members asked Dane during the meeting in November who he wants to hit, he pointed to his little brother. Well, Dane and his family have researched other severance ordinances, including one that defines pets only as cats and dogs. Dane has a guinea pig, which is illegal in severance, too. So this young influencer who doesn't shop at Payless, but will probably uh, return to the city council. By the way, at the close of the meeting, they all left the chamber, went outside, and he threw the first legal snowball in severance in 100 years. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon, and we'll be back.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show on a fun Friday afternoon. Well, if you were wondering what on earth am I going to need in 2019, we already have been told the hottest color of 2019, now it hasn't arrived yet. Granted, we're only weeks away, but they've already decided what the uh, color of the year will be. Drumroll please. Living coral is the 2019 color of the year. The shade of sea reefs And sunsets. Wow. Seems like the digital age with so many folks attached to their phones paying more attention to the Internet than actual reality has led to next year's Color of the Year. Living Coral has been chosen by the Pantone Color Institute as it's 2019 selection, and you'll start to see this pop up in all kinds of things. And the suggestion that the color of the year this year is no longer the in thing. And you've simply got to jettison that in favor of the next thing. With everything that's going on today, we're looking for those humanizing qualities because we're seeing online life dehumanizing a lot of things, the company said. So they hope to manipulate social interchange by choosing this color and unveiling it uh, at their annual color unveiling. We're looking toward those colors that bring nourishment and the comfort and familiarity that make us feel good. It's not too heavy. We want to play. We want to be uplifted. All of that in Living Coral, the 2019 color of the year. Well, Living Coral is the color of underwater reefs hanging on the, uh, for dear life, the sky at dusk, some of the latest iPhones and the latest looks on the runway of top fashion designers. Well, they consider this um, saturated orange base as a, with a golden undertone, not only warm and welcoming, but versatile and life affirming. Who knew that a color could be versatile and life affirming. It energizes with a softer edge than say it's pastel and neon cousins. Hmm. Pressman also sees a retro vibe in Living Coral in the same way a softer version of the 2018 pick Ultraviolet. Did you know that's this year's color, Ultraviolet? It's a shade of some gray heads when hair, ton- hair toners rather bring out a turn of purple. Okay. Well, the color also points to a long and often painful slog over the last decade. And so through financial market scares and political crises to environmental chaos and the rise of social media where saturated color presides. Wow, who knew? We're seeing so much more saturated color, she says, that the influence of social media, because people want things to stand out. This is definitely a color you see on social media. And so... Thinking independently and being influenced by everybody else on social media, they have come to the conclusion that the 2019 color of the year is living coral. So we are all supposed to run out and shop and buy living coral stuff. One Oklahoma state lawmaker, a senator, he's uh, introducing a bill to name the ribeye the official state steak of Oklahoma. The state steak. The state steak. Does a state really need to have an official steak? And if they should, should it be the ribeye?
1: That's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, I know they really, really take pride in their steaks.
2: State Senator Casey Murdoch, he authored Senate Bill 21. Apparently, they don't have anything to do in Oklahoma, which would enshrine the ribeye as Oklahoma's official state steak. I don't want to say it's a cheerleading bill, but it's promoting an Oklahoma product, he says. He said Oklahoma has 5.2 million head of cattle, and the state's positive accomplishments need to be celebrated. We get beat up on different issues. We're last in education. We're last in this and that. And we need to promote what's good in this state, he says. Well, Murdoch, the senator, said that his bill could be a boon to one of the state's largest industries. They say, oh, you're wasting your time down there. Uh, We're running bills anyway. This is just running a bill that's going to promote a business in Oklahoma. He says he doesn't like higher taxes. I like more businesses in the state paying more taxes. I see this bill as promoting the AG industry. So when you have a um, ribeye steak, think Oklahoma.
1: What we really should do is send send a letter to the legislative body in Oklahoma and say that Despite the fact we're not uh, residents of the state, we would like to weigh in. And if they could provide samples of different steaks, (laughs) we would be happy to make an informed decision
2: for them. Absolutely. I like that. Anything for a steak. Well, Ohio State University students are being treated to an unusual snacking option for finals week thanks to a new bacon vending machine. Yes, you heard me correctly. A bacon vending machine. Where is this again? Ohio State University. Okay, let's –
1: I got to go check orbits. I'll be back.
2: Yeah. The Ohio Pork Council, a trade group for Ohio pork producers – and by the way, I don't think pork is Ohio State meat – installed a vending machine at the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences that dispenses cooked, ready-to-eat, Smithfield, Hormel, and Sugardale bacon. Proceeds from the machine, which charged about a dollar for a strip of bacon or a handful of bacon bites – are being donated to the school's meat science program. The bacon vending machine is a unique and fun way for the Ohio Pork Council to support Ohio State students and promote the pork industry at the same time. That's a quote from the Ohio Pork Council president-elect Dave Shoup. The machine is scheduled to remain at the school until December 13th. Now, is this cold bacon? Is it crisp bacon or is it more limp bacon? I need to know.
1: I mean... If, if it's a good vending machine, it would have all of the above as yeah, options. Yeah, it would have all kinds of options. Every, every type of bacon has its fan.
2: That's true. But I want to warn you that PETA has um, helped us to speak correctly as we're referring to bacon. And in fact, they say that phrases like, dare I say it aloud, bringing home the bacon may soon be eschewed following the rise in veganism. Phrases like bringing home the bacon and flogged a dead horse could be culled to avoid offending animal lovers. An academic has now claimed. Sharina Hasma of Swansea University in Wales claims the group, uh, rather the growing popularity of veganism, could see people give meat-based metaphors the chop. It could mean historical sayings like taking a bull by the horns, putting all one's eggs in one basket, become a thing. Of the past,
1: I saw this list it, it It's creative yeah.
2: uh, writing on no, academic not. website, The conversation, Hamza claims the growing influence of veganism will raise awareness of animal cruelty and put an end to meaty descriptions. In today's reality, meat is repeatedly the subject of much socially and politically charged discussion, including about how to demand, uh, how the demand for meat is contributing to climate change and environmental degradation. Just take the fun out of everything. Everything. Well, PETA has been pushing for animal-friendly idioms for some time and has a list of suggestions people uh, could use to avoid causing offense to vegans who apparently need some protein because they're extremely sensitive. Examples include feeding a fed horse instead of beating a dead horse. Taking the flowers by the horn instead of taking the bull by the horns. I'm not sure how flowers might feel about that. Teaching students to well, use animal-friendly language can cultivate positive relationships between all beings.
1: Now, now you know, taking the bull by the horns, of course, you can grab a bull by the horns without impaling your hand. Uh, or
2: take taking the life. But of But you the can't bull. really
1: grab a flower by the thorns and not impale your hand.
2: Oh, there you go.
1: But the one I do like is the replacement for uh, "Bring Home the Bacon," uh, "Bring Home the Bagels." Now, the thing they fail to mention, though, is how good a BLT on a bagel tastes. <laughs> oh, there, there's nothing better.
2: Well, the thing is, you just can't be happy or enjoy anything anymore. This headline simply read, Millennials blamed for Killing These Businesses. Okay, what have the millennials done now? Well, um, there's a list of things that are fading because millennials just aren't interested. The first on the list, canned tuna. I have to admit, I'm probably not all that sorry to see canned tuna go, but... Um, The once lunchbox staple is no more in the eyes of millennials. The Wall Street Journal first reported that century old tuna companies such as Star Kissed, Bumblebee, Chicken of the Sea, they've all seen a drop in consumption by 42 percent since the late 1980s. Thank you, millennials. And American cheese sales. I think we brought this up before. Many millennials have been turning their backs on major processed cheese brands such as Kraft, Velveeta, Lando Lakes, and they're opting for fancier real cheese. Asiago, Fontina, Smoked Gouda. Sales for processed cheeses are projected to slide 1.6% this year, making the fourth consecutive year of decline. Also, home ownership. A report released by the Urban Institute, a policy research group, cited millennials as one of the reasons why home ownership is lower than that of their parents and grandparents. And the report of the Urban Institute, they say that baby boomers were adamant about buying a home as quickly as um, you could, as quickly as they could, while millennials are uh, in no real rush. Its study also blamed the decline and delay in marriages on the decrease. Uh, motorcycle sales uh, in the report. Um, Bernstein Research Analytics, they say uh, they cited five reasons why millennials aren't buying motorcycles. Two are the of the biggest factors were student debt, which leads to less discretionary income. And the generation overall appears to be moving through traditional life stages slower than previous generations. Motorcycle usage follows predictable uh, patterns over time with peaks immediately before family formation and immediately after children leave the house. So that's one uh contributing factor. Also, also, Buffalo Wild Wings. Millennials are responsible for seeing a decline in Buffalo Wild Wings. The CEO told investors that the chain's declines are partly due to customer tastes, particularly in millennials shifting in recent years. In letters to shareholders, they say millennial consumers are more attracted than their elders to cooking at home, ordering delivery from restaurants and eating quickly in fast, casual or quick serve restaurants. Mall traffic has slowed, and surprisingly, television viewership of sporting events, important for us especially, is down. Also, the paper napkin industry is suffering. The Washington Post reported that millennials are ditching paper napkins. They're opting for paper towels instead at the dinner table. The outlet cited a survey by Mintel that found only, and that's M-I-N-T-E-L, found that only 56% of millennial shoppers bought napkins in the past six months, while 86% of them bought paper towels. And finally, and sadly, breakfast cereal. The Los Angeles Times was first to report the drop in sales of U.S. breakfast cereals amid concerns among consumers, mainly millennials, over its nutrition content. They're more thoughtful about what they're doing. That year, sales of cold and hot cereals combined failed uh, fell rather 17%. According to research, what's more, the firm doesn't see those sales changing over the next few years. So millennials putting their stamp on the present and certainly the future. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Uh, speaking of millennials and the influence they're having on culture today, which is true of every emerging generation. As you uh, age into the culture, you have a, a growing and broader influence. Um, but here we have um, millennials are naming their kids after trendy foods, according to a new study. Um, watch out, Jackson and Sophia, some of your future classmates. Fresh food-inspired names will uh, have to kick more of an unusual flavor. Uh, if one study's prediction comes to fruition. On the 28th of November, parenting website Baby Center released their annual Top 100 Names list, which Jackson and Sophia crowned for the sixth year running, and reported that food-inspired names you can taste were among 2018's top trends. The findings are based on the hundreds of thousands of baby names collected from the website's registered users, according to the site's press release. Well, according to the study, millennial and Generation Z parents were influenced by their passions and their values when it came to naming little ones this year, with some apparently taking a cue from trendier pantry staples. For girls, kiwi was reported as um, up by 40 percent, kale up by 35 percent, maple 32 percent, and clementine 15%. For boys, spice-inspired names like Sage reportedly experienced a 15% spike in popularity. Uh, Parents eager to select an even more unique name for their tiny bundle of joy can take inspiration from monikers like Baker or Honey or Napoleon or Plum. On their culinary-inspired list as well for girls, kiwi was reported as up by forty percent. Kale thirty-five. I mentioned that already. Pa- parents rather are inspired by things uh, they love. Well, times have certainly changed since two thousand four, when Gwyneth Paltrow made headlines about uh, naming her daughter Apple. Uh, it sounded so sweet, and it conjured up such a lovely picture for me. Uh, she said, "Apples are sweet; they're wholesome, and it's biblical." And I just thought it sounded so lovely and clean. And I just thought perfect, Paltrow told Oprah Winfrey at the time. So she named that baby girl apple. Now, in terms of spices, they only offered the one sage for a boy. But I think oregano is certainly a possibility. Um, you might want to go with. Um, tarragon. Um Cinnamon—that's well, already been fairly popular. Uh, rosemary. Rosemary. Well, that's kind of been popular too, though. Yeah, yeah. I think tarragon. I think uh, pharmaceuticals are a better way to go. Ibuprofen and acetaminophen. Girl, you better get over here. Acetaminophen. Sit down.
1: Well, there, there is that.
2: Methotrexate. What? What are you doing? Just a well, thought.
1: Speaking of, did you did you see the story of the uh, the Southwest Airlines? Uh, a uh, flight person who got in trouble for uh, uh, making fun of a child's name
2: what was the child's name
1: um it it was uh, and I the pronunciation eludes me at the moment but it was spelled a b c d e i think it, i pr- think they A-B-T-C-E? pronounced it abs absidy absidy absidy
2: okay one thing you do not do is make fun of a person's name i no. mean once it's their name it, it's their name They have to live with it. They have to grow into it. They have to try to make sense of it. Just leave it alone. Ponder in silence. You don't always have to give voice to what you're thinking, which is a discipline we may have lost these days. Anyway, absidy. Well, that's a little different. A little bit different. We'll leave it at that. Speaking of a little different, Little Caesars, who's desperate to try to, you know, compete, have come up with a new um, pizza. They're testing their lasagna pizza you got lasagna, and you 've got pizza. Do you really need to put the two together
1: Do you hear that ticker ticking that 's the calorie counter going up as you're talking oh yeah, yeah Ooh.
2: alas, there's a catch according to food blog brand eating. Uh, Little Caesar is offering it um, this pizza at select locations in three states only, Ohio, Georgia, and West Virginia. More specifically, the pizza's been spotted in Savannah, Georgia, and the greater Huntington, West Virginia area. People in participating regions can get their paws on this crazy pie for a suggested retail price of $9 a pop. Lasagna pizza is served hot and ready uh, in the evenings. Well, Little Caesar has created the ultimate mashup uh, with a brand new lasagna pizza. It's a 14-inch pie, uh, features a toasted Parmesan breadcrumb crust topped with meaty marinara sauce, mini ribbons of pasta, Italian sausage, and a blend of mozzarella, munster, and ricotta cheese. Now, does that appeal to you? lasagna pizza
1: No I, I like I said I I'd, I'd love to see the calorie count and the uh, the amount of cholesterol in that in that uh I mean I'm guessing you probably need to take a baby aspirin before you eat it
2: <laughs> Yeah probably to keep your blood thinned yeah that might might be the case Well Burger King has found a new way to troll McDonald's by sending customers there And when I first read that um a little confused Well, in a new promotion called the Whopper Detour, Burger King is actually encouraging its fans to go to McDonald's for the next week in order to get a Whopper hamburger for a penny. As part of the marketing gimmick, consumers will have to, and I think this is probably passed by now, they'll have to be within 600 feet of a McDonald's and open up their newly revamped Burger King app. If the customer is close enough to the Golden Arches, the app will unlock the penny promotion for fans to order. After the order is placed, the user will be guided toward their nearest Burger King to pick up the Whopper. So you drive to um, a McDonald's. You're in close proximity. Your app detects the location and gives you a penny coupon to go back to a Burger King to get a Whopper. Okay. Burger King said in a statement, don't miss out on your chance to order the first Whopper sandwich ever available only at McDonald's. Well, sort of, kind of. The promotion, which um, is turning more than 14,000 McDonald's into Burger King restaurants, they say, ran through or will run through December 12th at participating locations. So if you're loving having uh, having it your way, head to the nearest Mickey D's for a flame-grilled Whopper that you'll have to return to a Burger King to get. Okay, is it just me or is this kind of convoluted and unnecessary? Unless all you have is a penny and lots of gas in the tank.
1: Yeah, it is a bit, and uh, there, there is one thing. I was reading some articles about that today because I thought that it was fascinating marketing. But uh, you, you not only need to be within a hundred feet of, uh, um, or, or six hundred feet or whatever it is of the of the McDonald's, you also need to be within striking distance of not only a Burger King, uh, but one that accepts online orders, which is not all of them. Yeah, so that's something just, you'll want to check before you uh, try that out.
2: Yeah. Wow. You might end up driving halfway across town trying to get your one penny's worth of burger and spending several dollars worth in gasoline. Just exactly. Well, McDonald's, as you may know, has been trying out a touchscreen. They're testing um, to see if this is an option that their consumers might enjoy. Well, those touchscreens, which is true at any touchscreen, it's not unique to McDonald's, but because it's an eatery, you might uh, want to know that McDonald's touchscreens tested positive for traces of Deadly bacteria, including things I won't even repeat, uh, traces of okay poop um, had been found on a number of McDonald's touchscreen kiosks, um, according to the investigation. Metro swabbed kiosks, kiosks, rather, in eight restaurants in the UK, found traces of gut bacteria, and every uh, single one of them. Scientists say that the uh, they analyzed the samples and found a host of infection, uh, infection-causing bacteria. Um, the names of which I won't uh, attempt to uh, provide for you. One kiosk was even found to have streptococcus, a contagious bacteria that can cause blood poisoning and even toxic shock syndrome. Diners use the text Green uh, kiosk, which have been uh, rolled out in restaurants all across the world. I know the one close to here has one, to order their food in a bid to speed up the process. They then collect their meals from the counter, often without washing their hands. I mean, you don't know where people's hands have been. You touch the screen, they've touched it, somebody will touch it after you. And chances are, when you pick up your um, meal to go or to eat there, you don't stop and wash your hands because there's a delay uh, that would be required. So beware of touch screens, not just in McDonald's, but any place you're about to eat, or for that matter, any place that has them. So I think I'll go up to the counter and just... Order from the person that hands me the bag and hope that they've washed their hands. Mm, it's a dreadful cycle. All right, we're uh, going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll let you know a little bit of what's happening next week right here on The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: We're back to listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. I know James is in tears, but we uh, must move on. On the program next week, we're looking forward to a conversation with uh, Hannah Anderson. Not that Hannah Anderson, the clothing line. Anyway, she's the author of All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. Wow. I'm hoping we can recover the lost art of discernment. We certainly know where to go uh, to, to get it. Anyway, we'll talk with Hannah Anderson about that. We'll also talk with Tilly Dillahay. She's the author of Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy Color Your Joy. We'll talk with Keisha Russell uh, as we focus on the 25th anniversary of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. We'll look at the history, where it stands today, and what the future might look like with regard to the freedom of religion. On Tuesday, we'll talk with uh, our folks, our friends rather, from World Concern. It's our annual radiothon where you'll have an opportunity to shop from the Global gift guide. It's always a lot of fun and we hope you'll take the opportunity to uh, to join us. By the way, you can go to kpdq.com, look for the World Concern banner at the top of the page, and you can take a look at the global gift guide. Even now, you can order from it or you can wait until uh, Tuesday and join us for a fun afternoon of Christmas shopping with a difference. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Jay Stringer, author of Unwanted, how sexual brokenness reveals our way to healing. And on Thursday, um, I'm taking the day. It will be my mother's 88th birthday, and I've decided I'm going to hang out with Lillian Rose for the day. Uh, and it's, uh, it's all about her. We're going to do whatever she wants to do, we'll go places she would like to go. Whether it's exciting or not, we're just going to do what uh, will be a blessing to her. It will also be the 24th anniversary of our uh, kidney surgery. She has survived 24 years on the kidney that Um, she received on her birthday some 24 years ago and is going strong. In fact, earlier today, we went to her primary care physician and got an excellent report. I'm just so proud of her receiving a kidney requires a a significant amount of um, diligence in doing all of the things they tell you you need to do. Certainly initially she had fists full of drugs to prevent it from her body from rejecting it. She did everything that she was called upon to do. And today she is flourishing at 88. So looking forward to honoring her for the day. And we'll share the best of the Georgine Rice show uh, with you on that day. And then on Friday, we'll lighten things up and uh, have a bit of fun. So that is our lineup for next week. And who knows what else might be added to that. And of course, we'll certainly cover the news as it unfolds each of those um, each of those days. Well, a life-sized replica of Noah's Ark is going to sail to Israel That's according to a Dutch carpenter who's actually built one. Uh, Ark builder extraordinaire Johan Hybers plans to sail his copy of God's ship from Holland to Israel, all 2,500 tons of the life-size replica. Uh, One major hurdle to overcome first, though, is that the Dutch carpenter's vessel has no motor. So he'll need to uh, rent tugboats. I, I guess to say it's sailing is a bit of a misnomer to be pulled to Israel tugboats don't come cheap and it's going to cost the businessman who made a fortune constructing storage spaces more than 1.3 million dollars to hire for this journey that's what it's going to cost several years ago he was quoted saying he hoped to sail the 95 foot vessel which spans five floors can hold more than 5000 passengers to Brazil but those plans fell through now he wants to take the ship To Israel, declaring his love for the Jewish state in an interview with the Jewish Telegraph Agency, adding that this is a copy of God's ship. It's only it only makes sense to take it to God's land. I love the country. I love the people. Uh, They uh, they don't obey. They do what they want. They drive like mad, shove while waiting in line and don't listen to anyone just like me, he said. Not quite sure what he meant by that. But anyway. Uh, The dad developed a strong urge to build the ark after reading a story about it to his children one day in 1993. His wife, who works as a police officer, initially laughed at him, as they did the original Noah, uh, and said that once he finished the boat, uh, building one, we can go on vacation to the moon. (laughs) Uh, However, he persisted and completed his first Noah's Ark replica 13 years later. took him that long. Well, he was disappointed as it was only half the size of the one in the Bible. So he sold the smaller one and built a life-size version. He told JTA, which is the Jewish uh, media, that for the second major project, he was joined by amateur carpenters who'd had no training, including a butcher, a hairdresser, and a teacher. We're not professional builders. Uh, A lot of stuff here is uh, crooked, he said. Well, let's hope it actually floats That might explain why officials um, uh, there uh, won't let uh, it reopen for visitors at present because the uh, public safety concerns persist. Well, the uh, locals then say the ship is safe, or at least he says that, ensuring and equipping with the fire extinguishers and gear and so on. Well, the boatmaker also said that he believes we're living in the end of times, but that people aren't conscious of it. The water is going to come. Hmm. From the mountains, from the sea through Germany, it sounds like doom and gloom, but I'm not afraid of it. He added, well, we already know that's not going to happen again, although we may be approaching the culmination of time. It's not going to be by a flood. We have been assured. And if you doubt it, just wait for the next good rain. There'll be a rainbow. Well, I read with some interest a headline that simply said Sylvester Stallone hints at end For Rocky character, sadly, all things must pass. Now, it occurred to me. Now, Rocky must be, what, 120? And he's still going. Is he still boxing? You have to announce the end of Rocky at this point? I mean, really? Have movie fans finally seen the end of the Italian Stallion as he is now boxing in the nursing home circuit? Uh, Coming off the release last week of Creed Two, star Sylvester Stallone on Wednesday hinted, That he's done making the iconic Rocky Balboa character. I I thought he was probably already dead. I didn't even realize. I mean, this has been going on for decades. And we're talking about a boxer. I mean, he's not a truck driver where you could, you know, maybe continue for quite some time. He's a boxer. He says, I just want to thank everyone around the world, um, around the worldwide world. That's a quote. For taking the Rocky family into their hearts for over 40 years, Stallone wrote. And by the way, is Adrian, is she in the, the latest one? Is she dead? What happened to her?
1: Ah, uh, I lost track quite a few Rockies ago.
2: Yeah. Uh, she's probably in the nursing home with him. Anyway, says you've taken the family... Uh, Into your hearts for over 40 years, Stallone uh, wrote on Instagram in a caption to a video in which he shared similar sentiments. It's been my ultimate privilege to have been able to create and play this meaningful character. Though it breaks my heart, sadly, all things must pass and end. I love you kind and generous people. And the most wonderful thing of all is that Rocky will never die because he lives on in you. Wow! Do you need a Kleenex, James? Because I got some Kleenex in here. That was just—that was just moving.
0: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show, or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at grice show, and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at four for more critical thinking for critical times on ninety-three point nine KPDQ